1159 at Radio Free America, and this is Uncle Sam with Music and the Truth Until Dawn. Right now, I've got a few words for some of our brothers and sisters in the occupied zone. The chair is against the wall. The chair is against the wall. John has a long mustache. John has a long mustache. It's 12 o'clock, Americans, another day closer to victory. And for all of you out there on and behind the line, this is your song. And the fans going back on, so hopefully you can't hear it too bad. So we're on the road, and this is the Daily Gun Show. Uh, we come to you live, ideally at midnight Eastern every day, or nine Eastern, whatever we feel like. And uh, actually, at midnight Eastern, we uh, talk about guns for an hour. And uh, a little late today, and um, in Albuquerque, heading north, got Clover jumping in from Texas. Thanks for joining. It's back and getting food. He's getting food. Uh, we got Dead Horse jumping in from Utah. Thanks for joining. Howdy. Got uh, Woods jumping in from the Pacific Northwest. Hey, thanks for letting. Yep, thanks for jumping in. And then uh, Taters jumping in from Michigan. Hello, hello. So we've got some other links out there. If you're interested in joining the show, let me know. And then uh, we'll begin. So uh, I am in, like, say, Albuquerque, heading north. And just did a quick chat over on the Gear Channel a little earlier. So I had a weird thing as I was driving up here through the heat, I guess. It's like 101 or 4. I don't know, depending on where I was. It wasn't that hot, but um, driving five hours through the heat, I guess. Uh, stopped to let the dog out at a rest area. And then the car was, or the van was acting real weird. It was almost misfiring, kind of a rough idle. And then uh, got it up to speed, and it's been fine ever since. But uh, thanks to the people over there, it looks like uh, probably a couple of things I can look at in the morning. And uh, nothing major, but a couple of things to look for, and we'll keep going. So, uh, right? Oh, it's we can wait till we get off. It's about vans. It's about your vans. So, but yeah, go ahead. Oh, we can talk about the van. So it's a the daily gun. Well, I was going to say if you if you took a trip and you changed altitude a whole bunch and and you went up or down in altitude, that can make a vehicle run funny. Like the first couple times you turn the key on and off, as the uh, computer is trying to readjust to a different sea level, right? Because um, it's trying to measure the intake of the engine. So you basically start a trip set out at one you know setting, right? And now it's trying to adjust and like catch back up to itself. That's what I kind of figured. I drove drove from I'm probably about 2,400 feet in Tucson, and I think the last mileage thing I saw was like 4,500 feet, and I think it came up from there before I stopped. I don't know what the altitude of Albuquerque was, but uh, is, but yeah, that's that's what I kind of figured. Maybe the coolness, the, whatever, if uh, humidity makes a difference for the air coming in. I would think it would for the computers, but uh, or the pressure, yeah. But people were saying it could just be bad gas. It could be uh, that the uh, oil's heated up after driving so long and just you know took a minute to get back. But it's basically it was concerned because it happened, right? And it happened in the middle of nowhere. But uh, after driving 50 miles to 75 miles an hour with no real issue, no hesitation, no issues at all, I stopped to get off the highway and drove for 45 minutes for 45 miles an hour for a while. Then I drove 50 miles, 55 miles an hour for a while, and then I was in just regular city traffic stopping and going at 30 miles an hour trying to get something to eat and then get over to the walmart and that was sort of through town and it's just been acting as normal as ever in fact actually running really good right now it's like driving an ice skate it's really moving along but i got uh bmc tactical is here and uh in albuquerque and i asked him if there's anybody he knows to uh, check it out, and he'd offered to bring, have me bring it by the shop tomorrow. So I'm gonna hover around his part of town, which is the southeast, uh, southwest part of town. So if you're ever going through Albuquerque, either north or east-west, um, north-south or east-west, they're pretty centrally located to the intersection of the two highways there. And it's a cool shop. They've been around for a long time and started out with uh, an auto shop and a little gun shop in the back, like just a little room, and then it grew and grew, and then it actually took over from the auto place. Anyway, good people—they uh, helped me out with a lot of things actually during the years. So uh, they helped out with the cop car with this van a couple of times already. So uh, this yeah, 
Especially with you saying that you went up in altitude, that's definitely a sign that your van was just uh, getting acclimated, basically, like a human body does. Because when you're at a lower a lower sea level, you're get you, it, it's taking in less air than it needs to at a higher sea level. At a higher sea level, it needs to take in more air. So your van, it just it, it's tricking itself until the all the sensors tell the computer that oh hey we're burning really rich right um we need we need more air and then so and that's what it was basically doing that's why it was running kind of weird there for you know and, and sometimes you just turn on your key let it run for a minute turn it off turn it on do that just a couple times it'll acclimate like pretty quick and it's just all about turning that key on and off but if you went up and out elevation it can definitely do that yeah, I kind of thought about that. So I'm going to try that next time. If it's rough like that, I'll try shutting it off, turn it back on, let it kind of reset to the thing, see if that cools it down or simmers it down. But anyway, so it does turn into a giant van thing. Otherwise, the van's been running real good. I had uh, issues with the ball joints. I think I talked about it yesterday, but I couldn't. I don't know if I talked about it on the show yesterday. I passed out yesterday. Um, but... Uh, did the ball joints finally finished them then took it over to a, a place that was recommended of what is it a firestone tire place with yep. a shop and uh they were recommended because uh they were i was told you could you know ask them questions and watch them do the work or whatever and they definitely let me do it you know watch everything um and uh yeah i'm more than satisfied number one the wheels dead on straight you know it's a pleasure driving the thing with a regular steering wheel again you know i if I can just let go of the steering wheel, it just keeps going straight down the road. It's great. But I had rotated the tires, so I have a good tire up front. And I knew I had good ball joints, but I don't know if I installed them right. And I don't have a torque wrench or anything. So, or at least I didn't use a torque wrench because I didn't know. I didn't have, I have a torque wrench, but I don't have the sockets the size of all the things I had to torque. So having those guys, when during the alignment, I told them I'd switch the ball joints out. And they're like, okay, we'll make sure everything's tight. And they wrestled the, the shit out of it. So. I'm pretty confident that nice. Uh, it's in good shape now. And like I say, it's riding like an ice skate. It used to ride like a roller skate. Now it's like an ice skate. It's really neat. So yeah, it's running strong and uh, got an oil change right away. Instead of wrestling around underneath the thing, I didn't feel like doing that after two days of wrestling around in dog pee and cat pee. So, you know, I live in dirt, so every stray cat in the neighborhood comes and pees, thinks my yard's a giant litter box or whatever <laughs> so every time i start rolling around in it you know after about what 45 minutes into a job you're just like whatever i'm just rolling around whatever i'll wash you know i'll take a shower later <laughs> so anyway <laughs> i feel like coming home and after all that let me engine cool and then do an oil change to save a few bucks it turned out it was like i think 40 dollars for their oil change and it's going to cost me 20 dollars for oil anyway right so uh or more so i figured well that's worth it and then for filling out a credit application. I don't know how bad it is to fill out credit applications all the time, but I filled out a credit application and got the oil change for like 10 bucks. So ended up being pretty good. The alignment is a double one, so I can fiddle with the vehicle if I want and take it back for a second alignment for free. So I think I got a pretty good job. And like I said, I'm just, you know, good good experience at the shop, being able to see what they did and see that they wrestled all those nuts in the shape. Yeah, because after yeah, you're done, you're going to do the other ball joints on the other side, and you'll be able to take it right back in for an alignment. So that's good. <laughs> well, after I buy some air tools, yeah. Yeah. Because my experience is when one goes out, the other one's coming up. You know, they, they go in pairs. Well, I'm going to want to just go in there and change everything rubber. You know, anything that's under there rubber, I'm going to take out and redo. And then, yeah, take it over and get another alignment. Yeah, it's at that mileage it needs to be done. You know, though I'm sure that was the original ball joints in it. You know. Oh yeah, they were riveted, so there's no way anybody riveted them back in. Yeah. All right, well, so that's enough of the van. Otherwise, it's running good right now. I'm also thrilled. I uh, put everything in it and then left, but that was the first time I was able to set everything up. I got the two monitors running, and uh, and the Wi-Fi. I don't know if you can hear that fan, but it's blowing harder than it's ever blown before and uh that's just all because of that second battery pumping out all those amps now so i've got so just 12 volt battery i've got two 12 volt batteries it's still 12 volts but now double the amps and the other battery is like two years old sitting in the old van sitting in this van 
probably isn't great for it sitting in the heat. So uh, yeah, definitely psyched that I'll be able to use both monitors. I brought that fancy mouse monitor you talked me into buying. So I should be able to get some good work done. Let's see. There's a thing called KitFast, links to your phone, free app to read, monitor, and change parameters. I've got a uh, Torque something or another app, and it uses my, um, I think it's called Torque, something like that, and it reads my ODB2 thing. So while I'm driving, it'll basically be a um, massive dashboard, like anything you could ever want. I just actually, while I was driving, flipped it to show me everything. There's like a quick view where it'll just show you everything. And I was just kind of watching. It doesn't, I, my, my computer won't tell me which cylinder's firing. Like, so I've seen some of the computers can get that detailed, but uh, pretty neat apps. All right, well, that's everything on the YouTube side. I guess I could flip it over to live. Still everything over there. All right, well, so we're talking about steel targets. How to practice with steel targets. How are we taking that one? I only use steel for long range stuff. Oh, oh, no, that's not true. I use steel for rimfire stuff, like spinners for the kids and stuff like that. We use those steel targets because they're quick, easy, and fast for spinners, and then for long range, just to help confirm hits. That uh, that's all I really use steel for. I really don't use them for pistols and stuff. So. Let's see the same thing though. When we would we have a ton of steel, so when we were in a heyday of shooting a lot and everything, we would uh, taking a lot of classes and then going out and sharing every with everybody you know, what we learned at classes and stuff. We would set out as many steels as we could, and they're basically silhouettes, so they're you know about the size of the score on a cardboard. You know, they're large but not too large to carry. Actually, some of them are pretty large. Anyway, we would set up, I don't know, six or eight or more at different various distances and stuff. And then the same thing, you can be shooting at dark, you can shoot with dust, you can shoot quickly, you can shoot from weird angles and stuff, and pretty quick know if you're hitting or not. I really like them because when I go out in the woods and shoot in the Northwest, nothing's flat. So we don't ever, I mean, hardly ever find a big field. And because I'm walking through clear cut and all kind of weird shit, it's nice to be able to just set up some stuff that I don't have to put a lot of effort into, you know, trying to get it all set up. I've hung them off of trees and all kinds of weird shit. I don't really get the chance to. I don't really get the chance to shoot steel ever. My uh, indoor ranges don't allow it, obviously. And then my gun club I belong to. They only they'll do like a steel plate shoot a couple times a month, uh, but that you can't just bring your own stuff in and set it up. Well, indoor, yeah, they usually like that. Ricochets and stuff can wail on their range. Yeah, my outdoor gun club that I belong to only does like a steel plate shoot a couple times a month, but you can't just bring your own. Now we've gotten, I've got two different copper jackets in my neck. Well, one was in my neck. I forget what the other one was, but uh, from the Glock range at, at media day. So twice now from the Glock range, I got whaled on with copper and that was in the bay over. Like, like I don't remember the first time. First time might've been in the actual bay, but the second time was definitely in the bay over. We were you know, on the other side of the berm. Somebody was shooting in the Glock berm and uh, now all of a sudden I'm like, ow, what the hell? a big chunk of copper sticking out of my neck um and just shooting ourselves um a couple of us have gotten uh copper jackets fly off in weird directions and get them jammed usually in our neck i don't know it's probably because yeah. your neck is exposed you probably get them hit in other places and don't even realize yeah that happened at the um gssf competition a guy got sprayed with shrapnel um came back and hit him in his cheek and made him bleed a little it wasn't like bad or anything you know but it you know he was still drew blood right like it could have been worse <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean they're basically yeah. tiny chinese stars flying at you so they, they don't dig deep but sometimes they do one guy one time we 
some guy got one in his neck, one of our guys, and we're all like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> and then like weeks later, he's got like went to the doctor and they x-rayed him and they're like, oh no, you got a piece of metal in you. <laughs> so it went in there. But uh, most of the time they just jab you and, I don't know, it's like pricked by a, one of those blood things, you know. It's enough to, like you say, draw blood, but not bleed. Well, I mean, it's really important, too, that, you know, if you're going to shoot steel, you hang it, you know, hang it properly. There's a lot of people that don't do that. Yeah, ours are just on stands, angled down, but depends on how you're, you know, how you are in, in an angle to them or whatever. And like I say, the Glock one was nowhere near it. It's just random, you know, jackets go flying when they hit steel. The lead stuff just kind of vaporizes, but the jackets don't. And they just go kind of in all directions. We've actually got one set. Um, I had a client back in the day who made them. And uh, so he made a couple of standard things like pepper, pepper poppers and things, but he had a couple of his own designs and one of them was a really deep angle. And you could get pretty close to that thing and it, it would dig a hole in the ground. Like it was, it really focused them straight down. That one was pretty good. Well, yeah, when you put them on like a cord or something, just loose, people put them on chains and stuff. That's like the worst. That's the ones I've seen the most accidents from because it's just so random. Play is saying frangible. Have you guys used frangible at all? Oh, yeah. Negative. Negative. Nope. You know, copper dust basically smushed together with some kind of epoxy and then uh still looks like a bullet and everything it acts like a bullet same weights i think but uh when it hits it just vaporizes into powder basically into nothing so the same guy that built those targets um started uh getting into the french ammo from irc or icc maybe i forget where but uh it wasn't cheap because it's solid copper and it's not just solid copper, it's copper that's done some kind of process. But number one, for just training, it's great because you can literally get right up on a target. We've killed a few cameras from it. Like there's definitely spray that comes off that's dangerous, but it doesn't come back to you. It doesn't ricochet or bounce. It just gets diverted to whatever angle the, can the steels are. Um, but the neat part about it too is when you use that indoors, you can reclaim like 60% of the copper, sweep it up and sell it to somebody and they can use it again as copper. All right, well, there. What about, quality, what about quality of type of steel, like the AR500 versus 550, or, you know, even if uh, using a mild steel for long range? I'm not a fan of mild steel at all. It makes noise for a while, but then you turn it into Swiss cheese and it doesn't make any noise anymore. So if you ever gonna look at that piece of tire or engine or something that's been shot up, you know, just it looks all gnarly, but you don't get any feedback from it after a while. And you're just polluting, you're just leaving a bunch of metal out there. Yeah, we've got uh, there's a, a personal range here and the guys take some oh heck, like um you know the old like scuba tanks are not necessarily scuba because i mean they came from the like the fire department so they're the you know like the scuba tanks but the scba gear tanks or whatever and they're you know they're round right so he'll he bleed he got some of those and he bled them off obviously and then cut them half in two and then hung them so they're like upside down it's like a bell shape and um they're out 200 yards, and I mean, I don't know, honestly, I don't know what kind of steel, you know, those are, but um, they're curved, so they're they're deflecting. I mean, you can see the berm behind it. I mean, they deflect really badly <laughs> into that berm, but um, yeah, they make some cool noises. He's got them, you know, they're cut at different lengths or whatever, so each one has a different sound. It's It's pretty cool. That's pretty interesting. I mean, that's strong steel for sure. I don't think it's hardened or anything. But like you say, being curved, 
and most of the time they're probably not shooting hard rounds at it. Maybe if somebody's shooting steel core at it, it might be different. Yeah, right. If you yeah, some type of a penetrator or something at it, maybe, and you hit it dead center. But you know, what are the odds you're gonna you're gonna get it dead center too? The thing that's round, yeah, exactly. So those can be. I've I've yet to find some. I've wanted to do something like that, but I've I've yet to uh, be able to find any of those old tanks. They're they don't use those no more. They have the some kind of fiberglass or some kind of a new style tank they use now. So. Oh, that like carbon fiber probably. Something they yeah. use an aluminum cylinder wrapped in fiberglass, and now it's wrapped in carbon fiber is the newest one, and they're forty five hundred psi. So the metal holds the gas in, and then the carbon fiber gives the metal the strength it needs. Exactly. That's pretty cool. And well, it makes them super light. Well, I guess that's true, too. Yeah. Well, you could also fill them with helium, and then it'd be a lot lighter. <laughs> right. And then they would talk better, faster. You almost made me spit Coca-Cola all over the room. Oh, my gosh. Could you imagine talking with those voices? Cooper <laughs> trip, you wouldn't forget. So we've been talking about the basics. We've been mansplaining steel to a bunch of people. Have probably already been mansplained before. So then what's your favorite steel target? I'm going to go backwards with taters. You don't have to have a shot at what's your favorite steel target to watch people shoot. Uh, just the round steel plates. Just all the plates in a row? Yeah. Plate rack, I guess. Right, yeah. Woods? I like... Uh, I'm gonna go with the same thing Tater said, like just uh, round steel plates. Right, right. That hurts. I'm gonna have to say the little spinners, like the set of three spinners for the rim fires, because super lightweight, portable. Yep. Yeah, where it's just basically like a horseshoe of like a metal rod, and then you have these little spinners that flip around on it. Yep, and they even got some fancy ones where you shoot the three underneath, and then they stay. And up one, and then that knocks the three back down. So yeah. I have one first. So. And then you can also do that where somebody has to shoot the three up before you can keep shooting them one down. So you have like almost like a dueling tree type of thing going with that type of rack. Yep, exactly. Person shoots the top, and then other people have to stack three before you can shoot the top. And those are, yeah, and those are so lightweight and portable and just easy to stick in the ground and to set up with the rim fire somewhere and just, uh, yeah, it's really good. It's a lot of fun. The kids really like them, and we definitely use them to play games and competitions with them. Um, so we let's try and just go through. So, David? I'm a gong guy. I like to reach out and touch the gong. Yeah, that's something I was going to talk about. We just moved on, but Elder, we have a range with 300, 400, 500, and no, wait, 200, 300, 400, and 500 yards. And at the 500 yards, the steel, it's steel, but it's like, I don't know, six inches thick. I don't know what the hell it is. It's huge. And it's cut out in the shape of a critter, like a ram, I think. And then, then there's just a big circle. And all the stuff people have shot at it, I don't know how to describe it. It looks like a weird mushroom or something, but it's huge. It's like this probably 36-inch steel, like six-inch thick, like manhole cover type of thing. But, you know, I imagine it was made to do that. And it's on some massive footing. So when you hit it, yeah, it sort of, it doesn't sound like a gong, at least ours. Ours is more like a thud. Like, you know, you're hitting it because you hit something, but and it's not the berm or anything. But you're talking like the hanging kind where you hit it and it's like, it makes an actual ring. Right. Yeah, those kind are pretty good too. I haven't really, uh, I don't know one. So I've only shot those at places before, but I know what you're talking about. All right, Clover. Favorite steel. I'm on mute. Okay, I'm off. Um, I like the star, the stars. Texas stars. Yeah, seriously, those are super fun. I mean, you know, they got them with, I mean, and, and they make them with all different, I mean, you can have 10 plates on them, some of them, you know, but yeah. And then I've seen one that's three Texas stars that 
pivot around like some kind of crazy roller coaster. Like, what, what are the stars? So stars where there's five uh, steels, but they're on spokes on a center axis, like a wheel. So as you hit, at, at, when they're just sitting there, they're just sitting there because they're all balanced. They're at the five points around the circle and around that center. And it's pivoting on the center like a bicycle wheel. So now you're shooting at these five steel plates, which are like around the rubber on a bicycle tire, right? At the end of these spokes. So the first time you hit one, the balance is off and they start to move. They're going to try to go to the bottom, right? So if you hit the bottom one and you're really good, then they won't really move too much. And then you can maybe pick off one of the others. And just as it starts to tilt to go the direction of which side's heavier, you pop off one of the next ones and then it kind of stops that momentum and has to figure out which way it's going to go. And then you pop off the fourth one and before it can figure out what the fuck you popped off the fifth one. So somebody who's really clean can make it look like the thing's not even on a pivot, like it's not even moving. But somebody doesn't know what the fuck is going to hit one. And then it starts to move like a, like a, what is that thing? A Ferris wheel? It's like a Ferris wheel with like six fat guys in six empty things. So it's going to be like going to the bottom, right? And then it's kind of swinging and it's random. It's really crazy. If you haven't watched Texas Stars. Yeah, I've seen those before. I didn't know what they were called. I've seen those before. I've never shot those though. The problem is most of the time you see them, it's like watching somebody who dives perfectly or something. You're like, well, who the fuck can't dive? Everybody can just dive and there's no splash, right? And then you go to dive and you're like, ow, right? Like, when you watch somebody who can't do a Texas star, you really see how evil those things are. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's but there's there's a certain element of fun to to it too when it's moving. So they're oh, fun. To, yeah. They're fun to shoot wrong just to just to play with it while it's moving. Well, and that's something else. And here's the disadvantage: they're massive contraptions and they cost a million bucks. So I don't know of any inexpensive ones or anyone I've seen really? somebody just hinge the one, back. The one I shoot, the, the dude made it out of literally a bicycle wheel. Really? So yeah, and some and some pipe and some pipe, and then he's got, of course, AR five hundred little. I think they're six inch plates on the ends. But yeah, he built it out of some angle and a pipe and a bicycle wheel, literally. And it uh, they still fall off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that would be neat. The ones I've seen are you know for like a range, like a, a range will own a couple of them and they'll use oh, them during awesome. events and stuff. And that's one of the reasons you go to events so that you can use this crazy steels that cost too much and are too big. But uh, but anyway, so I was gonna say if there if that wasn't an issue, then if you can get one, then that they're super good for just practice because yeah, you just pop one of them off randomly, and then try to catch up, and that's super hard to catch up with those things when they're acting randomly. I've seen them. I've seen them made if you're if you're out there and you're handy. I've seen them made out of bicycle wheels because it's got the bearing and all in the middle, right? Yeah, uh, and then I've seen them made out of uh, like trailer tires or trailer wheels, old trailer wheels as well, because they've got the bearing or whatever. And yeah, just well, well, there's enough bearing to hold however much weight's going to be up there. I, I mean, guess you've got to you've got to buy the plates. Of course, like six inch plates are not that expensive, you know, a piece. But uh, you got to buy the plates. But I mean, it's you could you could build one if you had moderate welding skills, pretty easy. I've seen one where they just flip backwards. And they're like on springs, they're like on hinges, and they they just flip backwards. And I don't know how they react when you hit them, but I've seen one like that, and that seemed like it'd be a little easier to deal with. Because my problem is if plates fall off of them, and they're going to hit the ground, so they're going to beat up wherever it is you're shooting them. And so if you you know they just don't lend themselves to be in your yard. You'd have to have a big enough place that you could move it around. And then I don't know, it's just a pain in the ass because you have to go out there and pick them up. Yeah. But anyway, that's the that is one of the funner ones. Uh, somebody in the gun channel side said dueling trees, and same thing. I always thought dueling trees were fun; they're super fun, but they've always been giant, you know, six foot tall and stuff. And then right. our guys bought one at a gun show for like 130 bucks, and it's maybe waist high, and it's got like six, you know, thingies that go back and forth, and it might be crazy, but I think we can shoot nines at it. I know we can shoot 22s out. I think we can even shoot nines out. Right. Well, I've got, I need to get out to, I got to get out to his house, but the, the guy I'm talking about has got the Texas Star, another cool one. He's got, he's got, it's like an entire acre. And I mean, it's covered with all kinds of steel targets and stuff he's made. But uh, he's got one that are square, is square plates, and they're all set up in a row. 
and you've got like a 12 by 12 and then it goes to like a 10 by 10 and an 8 by 8 and a 6 by 6 and a 4 by 4 a 2 by 2 and then a 1 by 1 at the end oh. and you have to and you have to knock the big one over to get to the next one to the next one you know what i'm saying in a row they're lined up in a row where you have to you so mean like, like a so it's like a so it's like a speed thing to get to the end yeah so not like uh left to right but in they're away from you so they're, they're behind each other yeah, yeah yeah as you get further away you get smaller oh that's super cool yeah and then what i like about that is because the 12 you, by 12 the 12 by 12 blocks all of them but then when you knock it over there's a 10 by 10 but it blocks everything behind it so all you can hit is a 10 by 10 and so forth yeah. and so on all the way back yeah that sounds and they're all hinged so it sounds like some flip a lever or something and it resets it yeah he's got it on a rope yeah they're hinged and he's got a rope you just pull the rope and it flips them all back up yeah yeah that sounds super fun i haven't seen that like, one before like I, I, I thought you were going to say that I have seen them where they go kind of left to right, like a plate rack where they go smaller, and that's pretty neat. Yeah, now these go like in a in a row away from you, so it's a it's like I said, it's like a speed thing, you know. I keep trying to touch the other monitor, so I got this second monitor, which is an eighty nine dollar television from Walmart, but I plug it into my HDMI port, and it's a second monitor for the laptop. But the laptop is a touchscreen, so I'm always over here touching this TV, and it's like, <laughs> I'm touching. Yeah, see, I, yeah, I have those things, but we do the same thing. We shoot nines at them, and they ruin it. But then, because uh, nines ruin everything. But I think that that second one you got there is more interesting, because you don't have to shove that in the ground. It just sits up by itself. I like that. Yep. yep. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, and then he's also got some, he's got some, uh, a lot of, they're like IDPA silhouettes that he has on, um, He's got, I don't know, he's got like a pulley system. And they're on zip lines, which is pretty interesting. So they move you, back and forth. Yeah, you, you like throw these trip levers, and the way he's got it set up is he's got this little station that you stand at, uh, and you can uh, you can trip them with your knee or whatever, you know. But, uh, yeah, you, you trip it, boy, and then this one will take off down across the zip line <laughs> while you're shooting at it. And then you can trip the next one. He's got like three of them out there. So they're pretty cool. So, yeah, trying to shoot at that IDPA-style silhouette while it's moving. On cardboard, though, not steel. No, it's steel. Yeah, it's steel. Well, then I'd be worried again about the angle, no? Um, well, I mean, it's it's free-hanging. You know what I mean? It's not. It's attached. Well, like I said, free-hanging ones are the ones that I've had to leave the most... I've seen most injuries with the ones that are just hanging off the rope. Well, but I mean, it's hanging. It it's not going to go side to side because of the way it's attached to the pulley and the cable system. You know what I mean? So when, oh, yeah. you, when you hit it, it would it would angle down if you hit it, or angle backwards, I guess. The bottom would. Um, oh, there's you see how those are like. Um, they're one piece of metal and then they're twisted 90 degrees so that they can hang on there without having a separate hanger or anything. Um, that reminds me, have you seen these ones that look sort of like jacks, like that pickup jacks type of game? They'd be basically three yeah. or four yeah. of those things, except in a way that there's always one pointed up. And every right. time you shoot it, it flips over and there's always one pointed up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those seen those orange, like uh, rubber ones, like plastic, hard plastic, rubbery ones that you can right. shoot. Right. Those shoot them. Sweet. I've seen them like that, but I've seen, seen them in metal also. Yeah, the metal ones are cool. Yeah, you can walk those all over the place. They're kind of fun. What gets right. me? I don't like the. I don't like the. Uh, the The only thing I don't like about those is I don't like. I don't like any steel that when you hit, you run the likelihood of everything going up. I really don't like that. And it, a lot of plate racks are that way, um, and those ones you walk are kind of that way too. Yeah, you get a exactly. lot of you get a lot of stuff that when you hit it, it goes ricochets up, and I don't really yeah. like that. Especially when it's like a twenty-two, and you're kind of going right back up at you. Then, All right? So let's see how to there we talk about right still here yeah you're back you're oh, yeah, like. back you cut out for a minute 
Oh, okay. That's interesting. I don't know what happened there. So um, we're going to talk about um, practicing at the range using those rental guns. So going the idea of going to a range and using the you know the rental guns as some sort of practice. Has anybody done anything like that before? Not for practice, but uh, when I was deciding if I wanted to buy this gun or that gun, if they got one to rent, I'll rent it first. But no, no, not really for practice. I don't have any. I don't. I don't have a range within like an hour, and none of them rent. I've never rented any. Oh, that's. Yeah, I can see that happen. I've been through a bunch of towns today where, back when me and Bob were looking around for gun shops i had stopped at a couple of the shops that said they are stored towns that said they had gun shops and they were all abandoned so yeah, there's got to be places that are hours and hours away from a rental range but you know the concept you go to a shop some of the smaller ones will have maybe a dozen guns some of them will have like hundreds really yeah any of you guys ever practice though because basically what i'm thinking about is manipulation so many people are like oh i like my blah 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 fill in the blank whatever gun you've been told to like and then, you know, you run around playing with that gun all the time and you, you're basically crippling yourself. So, you know, let's say you like striker fires. Then when's the last time you used a double action, single action? The most complicated dumb guns ever, right? Or when's the last time you used a single action? Uh, I kept a 1911 around for years just so that when every once in a while when I go to the range, I'd still use that 1911. I didn't want that perish. I wanted to know how to use a 1911 still how to instinctively throw that safety up and down. Um, I kept around an H&K USP uh, for the same reason. So I remember how to use stupid single action, uh, double action. And uh, that's where I think now, I don't have any of those guns anymore, but uh, going to the range, you know, for seven bucks, a lot of times you can pay seven bucks. Much to buy, but just to, uh, I'd say practice manipulations. Yep. I've done I've done some of that with my dad just because we wanted to shoot different kinds of guns. Not that we were going to buy anything, just to get familiar with those other types of firearms. But I don't think I was thinking like like what you're saying. It's a great idea, but I don't think we were kind of going down the road. I think we just like we just like guns and we wanted to shoot different kinds of guns. Because, like you said, it's like ten bucks, and you can fire, fire everything in a particular caliber. Well, that's how they do it, everything in a caliber. Yeah, that's how they did it. The one that's closest to me. That probably keeps like the candy and stuff off of the forty fives. Cotton candy. <laughs> well, my dad, he was all about shooting the 45s because i mean he was in the military in 1958 so like he wanted to shoot the 1911 but you know he's 80 now so he fired it about five times and then he had enough of that all right well just the same thing magazine change of magazines figuring out where magazine releases are not every range is going to have something with like a european mag release or something but uh, something like was it was it a H and K right has the magazine release underneath the trigger guard for some reason. You know, every once in a while there's something weird that Smith and Wesson bodyguard had its cylinder release up on top of the frame. Yeah. So yeah. I always like to uh, at least theorize that if something bad were to happen, you're running around. You want to be able to pick up anything and make it work pretty quick, right? Not right. like the first time you encounter something with a state like that phoenix right they comply with california laws so they have to put a safety on the slide for no reason even though there's already two safeties in the frame they need to have a safety up on the slide a firing pin safety so uh you know the first time you pick up a gun like that you're gonna have like a handicap oh yeah it's, it's perplexing sometimes like a little puzzle not even the first time even if you're just out on the range playing around you know and you pick it up you're you know you're used to other stuff and you pick that up and it's like why didn't it go off well crap forgot the safety why didn't it go off well crap forgot the safety um something with like a grip safety that might be worth checking out in our shop right a different 1911 is a lot different than the mmp or not the mmp the uh, other one xd 
All right, well, that was a little something extra there to talk about. Like I say, we're not trying to follow whatever's on the main page of the newspaper. Um, why is this saying showdown? Am I looking at the wrong day? It's <coughs> Thursday, right? It's Thursday. Yeah, I must have accidentally left showdown in here. So um, you guys were talking about doing trowned gun is the round of the day or the gun of the day? Yeah, yeah that, that gun is so neat. Yeah, I don't know. What, 1958? When I uh, went over to the Wooden Labs, the guy's got like this giant private ammo collection. It's massive. Uh, it's like a building. Um, he's got drawers of trowns. So I knew there was trowns, but I had no idea there was so many varieties. And then there must be tons of them. I got the impression there was few, but there must be enough for the collectors to have them. So they must have been in production or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that Dardic 1500 and 1100 are pretty cool guns. There was a like a carbine kit you could buy for them. It's a magazine-fed revolver. Well, yeah, the one he showed us had 16 rounds. I saw one. I saw 50 BMG projectiles in trounds, so there must be something bigger than just handguns too. Dang! So those are <clears throat> those are a plastic or a polymer. Yeah, they're basically like a big triangle. Shit! What the hell do you call them? Like a you know the Tublaroni chocolate thing? Yeah. They're that shape, except that there's they're made. They look like they're made out of clear plastic, because uh -huh. they are. And then there's a bullet suspended in there, so they almost look like a paperweight. But then there's also powder behind there, and a primer, and it's the chamber and the cartridge. So, or the case, I guess it's the case and the chamber. So, my battery's running low. So, um. Right here. Um, I guess the idea was that you could have, like, say, this kind of a scallop-looking cylinder, and the uh, the tround itself was its own chamber. Yep. I guess I can't pull all my amps across to the other side of the van, but at least my screen's not flickering. Oh, let me swap on your screen. Here's the carbine kit you could get for it. Oh, cool. <clears throat> and then this is how they sit in the magazine. Like a revolving cylinder. And I think just a big chunk of plastic fell out, right? And Yeah, and you got to yep. think that's 15 rounds in 1950. It's unnatural. And it's basically just a hollow tube. There's really not a lot of stuff happening in that gun. There's like a hammer and a trigger and a big hollow tube. And they had the 1100. It was a carry sized. How much of it's... Do we ever decide whether that round has a, a case all the way through it, like an aluminum case? No, it doesn't. Or is it not. just plastic? It's just oh, plastic. it doesn't? No. Yeah, we, were, we didn't decide. We weren't sure about At least that. the ones I've seen are not. They just look like plastic. See that picture to the top right? How big those, some of those are? That's what I'm yeah. saying. 50 BMG ones. Jesus. But you see that clear one? There ain't oh, yeah. nothing. That's just powder and a bullet. Hmm. Oh. Mm hmm. Well, like we we were thinking about we we didn't know when when it was made, so we were trying to figure out if somebody was inventing something that they're inventing something for a problem that didn't exist. But you got to figure in 1958, you know, it was a way to get something that had a lot of rounds. Well, look there, there's a brass base at least, right? So maybe it has brass a little ways in it, like a shotgun. Probably. 
Well, then that that makes you wonder if you couldn't develop one of those that would hold or house a you know a modern cartridge. Uh, I was reading somewhere a while back. I don't remember where that they there are companies that make just the polymer part, and then you could fit. Uh, you can buy a barrel, and it would fit. I think it was like a thirty-two or something in there. Oh, okay, so you just put your put your commercial rounds in there, and you, or load the load the trown with your commercial round. Yeah. It was something like that. Somebody makes an alternative where you can shoot modern ammunition in one of these because I remember watching a video on one of these that came out back in the nineties. That's how I first learned about this when I was a kid. My dad used to get the NRA like VHS tapes in the mail, and they were talking about this and. Back in them days, you could still find the rounds, but they were like over 50 bucks per round. Wow. You know, they were rare. All right. Well, we tried to reach our gun every day. That was our gun today. Thank you. Uh, where else we got? Today is Thursday, so I think we're about done. Uh, I don't have my notes in front of me right now, so we won't do the history. Is there history today? I guess I can look at my history. I don't have the fancy history with there, all the dates in it, but uh, we've got guncalendars.com. Probably something happened in today. I assume the number of video went up. Today's the 14th. Uh, it's the uh... 14th for me. It's 13th where I am. Okay, so depending yeah. on where you are, it's the uh, sunset of the assault weapons ban. So the assault weapons ban ended. So that also means that my uh, Indiegogo thing should be ended. Uh, and then it's also the death of General Amber, Ambrose Burnside, who was the first president of the NRA. And he died back in the day. And then today is uh, the day of on September 14, 2016, that Missouri got constitutional carry, or they passed constitutional carry. So they've had constitutional carry now for two years. Looks like tomorrow, the 15th, is that bullpup shoot in Illinois. So if anybody's going to that, that one. Uh, we start, we're talking about the 13th. It's uh, Star Spangled Banner was written. Oh, really? Yep. Pretty cool. I think uh, Ghost sent me that thing. Either Ghost or Pancakes or somebody else sent me the thing about uh, him writing that, like maybe on the 4th of July. Maybe it was Patriot. Somebody sent it to me, though, and uh, it was interesting to hear that story again. Uh, ooh, in the year 2000, Microsoft releases Windows ME. <laughs> yeah, grows. ME. Yeah. Grows. <laughs> ME was, was so bad. That was a horrible day in history. When I worked at Microsoft, that's what I got trained on first. Yeah. It was the worst thing ever. Yeah, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. Uh, 1959, this is the 14th, though. 1959, the first man-made object successfully lands on the moon. Huh. What year? 59. Uh, the uh, Soviet space probe Luna 2. So, yeah. Whatever did anything, or if it was just the uh, ability to drop it there? Was the uh, it says it was launched September 12th, uh, and it lost communication... When it impacted the moon's surface. Hmm. And I can't read the craters, but it tells you kind of the location, I guess. So if you had a really cool telescope, maybe you could look up there and see it. No, no way. It's got to be little, right? Yeah. I don't know. But they say you can see the moon buggy or no? Some of the, some of the telescopes out there are pretty bad to the bone. So I don't know. Depends on how good your telescope is, I guess. It's all a projection from back downwards from the dome anyway. 
right. comes up from the center portion <laughs> of the dome. And, uh, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, thanks for throwing some history in there. Um, we'll be somewhere else tomorrow, and it'll be Friday, right? So yes, I don't know how many shows will be going on because I don't know. I guess I do have a schedule right in front of me. Let me see. Uh, Clover, though, what's your show tomorrow? Uh, it's just to ask the panel. More than one of those. We're going to take a break from the industry and kind of chill on a Friday. I don't, right know, how long it's, I don't know how long it's been since we've done one. It's been four or five weeks or something like that. So I've got plenty more industry people lined up, but it's nice to take a break every now and then. And I don't know if Budget will do his show on Friday. He keeps switching it to Sundays, right? Yeah, depending on his schedule. And I don't... He hasn't put anything out saying he's going to switch it yet, I don't think. I haven't seen anything. I haven't either, but that's why I'm not sure if, you know, he's just... Uh, we'll find right. out. So he might be tomorrow. Uh, Edge says he's not going to do his show anymore, so we lost a show host. So, uh, unfortunately, he didn't listen to your motivation one, I guess. Well, he may have other things going on. Yeah, he's been doing that show for a long time, but still sucks to see somebody who's been uh, kicking butt on a show for so long to uh, you know, let it go. Right. Uh, um, otherwise, though, thanks everybody for showing up. Kind of late tonight. We've got a bunch of people still watching, and looks like people are still chatting over on the YouTube side a little bit, and then mostly midnight. And then... Uh, couple people have been chatting on the gun channel side as well so um that's what it's all about we'll uh like I say be somewhere different tomorrow and well does anybody else have anything to plug do you guys got anything live after this uh yeah i'm doing a tater tube right now so we can listen to that or be part of it or wait till tomorrow and wish you did it Here you go. All right, I'm in the net. Is, is uh, somebody selling PSLs again? Looks like Century selling PSLs. <laughs>